Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 589. My name is Paul Garcia, and I'm your host here on the Spurs Cast. Since the NBA draft and free agency were so close together, we've put together a combined episode where we'll discuss free agency and the draft. First, Colin Reed joins me to discuss the Spurs' moves in free agency, and then Benjamin Bornstein and I analyze the Spurs' two draft selections, Devin Vassell and Trey Jones. Let's go ahead and get started. Colin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing very well. Um, you know, last week was a very chaotic week. Uh, you know, you, you and I had talked about this before we started recording, where we had the draft, and then two days later it was free agency time. So that's why we didn't do um. You know, normally every every off season we do a draft episode, then a um a post uh, free agency episode or pre free agency episode. But this year we just combined them because there's so much going on right now uh, with the Spurs. So 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 uh, Spurs cast listeners, uh, I just want to notate the time that Colin and I are um, recording this. We are recording this on Monday evening. Uh, so in in the event that you listen to this the next day and there are some sort of trades. Or there's another signing of a player or players that we didn't discuss. It's because again we're recording this Monday evening. Okay, let's go to begin, Colin, with some of the news that's been going on with the Spurs as they've they've begun this some free agency period. The latest news, um, the first thing they did was on Friday, right before free agency even started, uh, they actually waived Chemezi Metu. Uh, he was waived on Friday. Uh, he had a non-guarantee contract that would partially guarantee uh, as of November 29th. And then it would fully guarantee if he remained on the roster up until February 25th. Now, uh, this is kind of not too big of a surprise. It just looked like, you know, based on the last few years, the, in terms of him getting any kind of playing time or getting into rotation, it just never happened. He was constantly stuck in Austin. Uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, I forgot, uh, you know, with one of my guests uh, recently that, um, you know, Drew Eubanks pr- basically passed him up in the rotation, even even into the bubble when the, when the restart happened. So it kind of looked like he, he really wasn't gonna, getting any traction in terms of, of finding a, a role here in San Antonio. So what did you think about them waving a Metu, uh, you know, who was their, their 2018 second round draft pick? So it wasn't surprising that that happened this summer. I think kind of what was surprising for me was maybe the timeline of everything. I remember when they drafted uh, Metu two years ago, I believe. Um, he came in to training camp and he wasn't really on any deal, if I remember correctly. They just kind of had his rights as a second round draft pick. And during training camp, they signed him to a two-year deal. So to me, that signaled like, oh man, they really see something here. Um, even if like that first year, he's going to be spending most of the time down in Austin, they really see something uh, of a player that can really contribute there. And so I, you know, I'm not sure if that was just a disconnect between them or if it was Drew Eubanks, like you said, kind of coming up and developing maybe quicker than they had imagined or in a way that they hadn't imagined. Um, but kind of the, the fact that it seems like they evaluated him to have a place on this team and that just never really developed, I think, was the more surprising thing. But given the season and kind of given the minutes and the rotations that we saw, especially in the bubble, that this happened wasn't really surprising. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they have a lot of guys coming up, uh, too, behind, you know, Rudy Gay and, and LaMarcus. And the, the players that typically play there at the four, they got, um, you know, Lucas Simonich still. Uh, and then if they want to, um, you know, work with any of these younger players as well, uh, you know, start playing some small before as well. So, you know, again, Metu, uh, he did clear waivers as of the day that, uh, as of the time that you and I are recording this. So he can, you know, either sign with an NBA team or he can sign uh, in the G League, uh, maybe try to get a two-way deal with another team. All right, let's go to begin here. Um, uh, going through now, we're going to go through the, the moves that we know about that, that have been reported uh, for the Spurs. So so a lot of their moves have been about bringing back players that were on the team last year. The first one, the big one, was uh, Jakob Hurdle did agree to re-sign with the Spurs for three years, $27 million. 
Um, then Drew Eubanks also um, agreed to resign with the Spurs for three years, five point two nine million, which is about the veteran minimum uh, for him since he's only it'll be only his third year. Um, they did they did draft Devin Vassell, and they will be signing him soon to his rookie scale contract. Um, uh, Quindary Weatherspoon um, did, um, you know, sign his qualifying offer, which puts him back as, as a two-way player next season. There's reporting that Kata Bates Jop, who was recently waived by Denver on Sunday, uh, he's going to be signing the second two-way um, roster spot. And then uh, Cam Reynolds, uh, who played a, on a on a two-way with the Bucks last year, he's apparently going to sign an Exhibit Ten contract, which which is basically like a training camp camp contract. And then Trey Lyles' deal uh, did guarantee on Friday night, so now he is uh, he's officially on on the roster at five five point five million. And the one player I, I I stayed for last was Trey Jones because of the situation with Trey Jones is that he is a sec he is a second round draft pick that the Spurs just um, drafted this past week, and um, you know because those two two-way spots are taken up already by Weatherspoon and Kate of its job it does signal that you know the Spurs are most likely going to give him a full roster spot and the way we know that is because if we look at their financial situation we do see that they stay right below the luxury tax and if they waive um, Tyler Zeller they're able to fit Trey Jones into into there exactly with a minimum rookie deal um, or minimum deal and also we they, the the Spurs social media um, tweeted a photo of um, of Trey Jones's jersey and locker as well as um, uh, Devin Vassell so that kind of gives you a hint that it looks like right now again as we're recording this on Monday evening that they are going to most likely give Trey Jones a full roster spot here. Uh, so just kind of, you know, there's a lot of moves going on here. What, what do you think about their initial moves, Colin? Yeah, so so a couple of like quick hitters. Um, I know so the Jakob one I know is one that's kind of very fascinating to us, especially until they kind of announce more of the details or we find out more of the details of, of the actual contract. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were talking about that earlier. Um, and obviously there's, there's so many ways I can go. You know, is it is it 27 flat? Is it high 27s? Um you know, that could be something that starts. We talked about that as low as uh, kind of 8.33 million uh, with max raises or as high as 9.78 million with descending money, max descending, which we don't expect that to happen or like flat. And there's, there's so many ways they can go with that depending on kind of what they're looking for at this season or cap space and future season. So that that's interesting, I think, from a standpoint of kind of what that deal will look like. I think... Um, getting uh, Pirtle on a contract for this length is good for the Spurs. I think he is a good big man to fit with the young guys that they have on their roster. Uh, my initial reaction to uh, Eubanks' contract was that, that that amount of money was a win for the Spurs. And, and right now, that length of the contract was a win for, for Eubanks just because he had never had like a guaranteed contract in this way, um, like a full roster spot guaranteed contract. So him having that is, is a, probably a pretty big milestone for him. And if he continues developing, I think the way that some people saw in the bubble, um, by the end of that, that could also be an awesome contract for the Spurs, both money and years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and kind of the other things, like you said, are mostly like minimums and, and such. I think the thing uh, with me that sticks out for Trey Jones um, is the fact that they're already kind of having plans on having him on the roster, even before like going into training camp, tells me that they're very high on him. Mm-hmm. And I think any time where you can get a contributor in the second round is a very good sign. <laughs> Same with Quindary Witherspoon, you know, the fact that they're bringing him back and, and hopefully he'll have more of a chance to contribute this year. You know, any anytime you can get a, a player a rotation player in the second round you've done pretty good with those picks so i think that just goes to show that um that their second round picks have been pretty good the past couple years and i think that's very interesting and especially because they're like i said giving this contract we're expecting because of the pictures that you said and some other things we're expecting he's going to get a contract full roster contract trey jones before training camp even so so i think that signals to me that they're very very high on him yeah, and one thing I wanted to, to, to say there that you just brought up was uh, how they signed Jakob. You know, we're, we're obviously waiting for that. So Spurs cast this. The way the, the way the process works is, you know, Jakob has to actually sign the official contract. He hasn't done that yet as of Colin and I recording this episode. But once he does, um, you know, some of the cap cap, pers- uh, cap people on Twitter, you know, usually get the actual details and then they'll tweet them out a few, uh, eventually or put them on their websites. So that's why we don't have the exact amount. I also wonder, Colin, if maybe they 
they gave Yaka maybe just a full MLE amount, like exactly what it is if had he gone to a different team. Because I think that's kind of what the market is showing for a lot of these big guys right now is a lot of them are getting that full MLE at nine point three million. So I wonder too if that's actually the in, in the actual numbers is just the exact MLE amount, which that obviously makes it interesting because like you mentioned, there's a way that they can they can basically like avoid the luxury tax if they can keep Jakob in that eight point three eight point uh, eight million dollar range in, in year one and then let it um you know you know increase as 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 the years go on. Uh, and then with Trey Jones. Uh, Spurs cast listeners. One thing to keep an eye on is is whenever that it gets announced, if, if it does get announced that he's going to join, um, you know, as on a full NBA contract. If it's two years, oh, then we know that the Spurs are just giving him the veteran minimum because that's the most you can do with the minimum. If it's actually multiple years, like three or four years, then that means they're probably taking a little chunk out of their MLE, their mid-level exception, to sign him because you have to use the mid-level exception in order to give a player a three or four-year deal. So again, that's something just you know just more cap stuff to watch um, as as those those details uh, do come out if, if he does get signed again to a full NBA roster spot. So now. Let's look forward now to this team, what, what the roster looks like now that we've discussed all these new, new additions and, and players that, you know, did, did get waived. Uh, so right now, as, as we're recording this on Monday evening, the Spurs do have 14 players on guaranteed contracts when they sign their contracts. And this includes if Jones does sign as well. So again, 14 players. The most you can have on a team for the regular season is 15. And then, of course, you can have your two two-way slots. So basically 17. Uh, right, uh, Tyler Zeller remains on the team. But again, he's on a non-guaranteed deal. And the Spurs don't have to make a decision on him until February, basically like late, late February. They have to decide they're going to guarantee his contract for about $2 million, um, or waive him. Now, that's interesting because, again, like Colin and I have mentioned, it, uh, by, by the time the season's over, the final game in May, uh, if the Spurs are over the luxury tax, they're going to get charged that luxury tax. If they're not... Well, then they, they, you know, they can avoid that. And so, um, you know, again, they, they have to basically February to waive Zeller. And then, of course, the, the final tax gets calculated as of the last game of the season in May. Uh, both two-way spots are filled, like we mentioned. So there's no no, no way to add a, a different player unless they waive somebody. Uh, one player so far for training camp, which we mentioned in, uh, in Cam Reynolds. So you may see the Spurs sign a bunch of different players here in the next few days or, or weeks, uh, you know, as training camp approaches. Uh, because, again, in, in training camp at the preseason, they can take up to 20 players. However, they do need to trim that roster down again to 15 players guaranteed and, and two players on two ways. And then uh, like Colin and I mentioned, they're about $1 million under the luxury tax if they sign Jones and they waive Zeller. Uh, and then right now, let's just say they did want to add another free agent, you know, marquee free agent out there, whoever's out there. Uh, they would have about $7.3 million of their MLE to use on uh, for that free agent at, at the most. Uh, so, so Colin, what do you think about where the roster stands right now? Yeah, I think it, it's probably pretty set, kind of like we're talking about here. I think... Um, when he got signed for the bubble, and I think maybe when it was uh, when they had already gone to the bubble, I can't remember the timeline exactly. But I remember Zeller had mentioned that he was going to be at training camp with the Spurs. Mm-hmm. So I imagine <laughs> if they do waive him, it'll be after training camp. I'm yeah. sure they'll do good on that and at least like bring him into training camp. Um, and and you talk about the MLE. I think this is something just as like a like a cap function that's very fascinating to both of us because the MLE. Um, even the taxpayer mid-level is a pretty powerful tool on the buyout market really because generally teams are using like minimums to try to sign like fairly good players but at the same time even if they waive Zeller if they use any of that MLA really they're going to go over the luxury tax and are they going to have a good enough team this year to justify going over the luxury tax Hmm. unless a young player becomes available that they want to lock up which it's hard to expect happening. So it's very interesting because they probably will never end up using that MLE, but if they do, it's probably going to be for something that they consider to be really good. So so I, I'm interested to see if they do wave Zeller, if they do start playing the luxury tax game. I think both of us expect this roster to be very exciting and a very good developing one, but maybe one that ownership doesn't see as a roster that they are going to go into the luxury tax to pay for. I agree with that. And that's what I was actually, you kind of answered my question there. So I agree that, you know, there, I think that every move they make going forward, uh, it looks like they're going to do it, do them based on trying to stay under the tax. Now, um, you know, if things change and let's say they do get off to a good start in the season, maybe like, uh, you know, uh, let me see here, like 15 and, and five or something, you know, just something a really good record to start. It looks like they're, they're on their way to being a playoff team for sure. Maybe that uh, in a top six or top seven. Well, then maybe I think ownership does think about maybe, you know, letting the the, 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 the front office go into the MLE and get, and get whatever free agents out there if there's somebody available, especially like as, as February comes around toward the buyout market time, timeline. Uh, so I think that's kind of one, one case is that I, I agree with you, Colin, that I think that just based on their positioning in terms of where they're expected to kind, kind of perform this team. Uh, which, which right now, you know, based on the, where they finished last season, it wouldn't have been a playoff team. Uh, I think that again, they're going to try to avoid that that luxury tax. Is that what you you think as well? Yeah, I would imagine so. And like I said, the only 
the only reason why I could see that being any different is if, and I, I wouldn't even know why a team would be motivated to do this, but if a team buys out a young player that the Spurs feel like they could bring into their system and develop, and they think that they can use what they have access to in the MLE to like sign that player for multiple years, that's maybe the only good reason to do it. If they're like, okay, this is a player we can bring in and can be part of our young core, but those players generally aren't available in the buyout market. Generally, the buyout players are going to be the older established vets that just don't have a place on a losing team kind of thing. So uh, I I don't think the type of player that they should be spending the MLE to go into the luxury tax midseason will be available. So I, I, like you, expect them to try to avoid it. Okay, yeah, me too. So now, Spurs, yeah, this is, let's go on and, and look at you know going forward. What what else? What other moves Kansas this um, team make in, in this season? Plus, what what does their their outlook look look like for next season or for next summer? Shall we say? So the first player I want to mention here, Colin, is Derek White. Um, he does have a an extension that he can sign uh, up until December twenty first of this year. So again, up until about a month left now for Derek White to sign an extension. Again, that's only if the Spurs offer to him and he accepts it. So again, we don't know what kind of negotiations are happening. We did see you know a lot of the max extensions, but these are guys like, who are like all-star players like like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, uh, De'Aaron Fox. These these three players did get their their max extensions um, early on. Whereas Derek, you know, he wouldn't get a max extension, but you know, it's a, a, an extension that was pitched by Bobby Marks earlier this summer was um, fifty-two for four four years, fifty-two million for four years, which is about thirteen million a year, and that's actually a deal that that Jordan Clarkson just resigned for with the Utah Jazz. So he kind of took that that exact that exact number that 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 we're, that you know that might be expected for a Derek White type of extension. So what do you think about um you know the chances of White signing? extension or where do you think those talks are going so i I think um you know that the spurs are definitely an organization especially with with the young guys that they brought in that they can get to a place to um like that type of deal would be something they could get to as an amicable place i think that most of the time though it looks like with these rookie extensions it's either the max or nothing and i think the reason why DeJounte. I mean, uh, Donovan Mitchell was a little bit less than the max, mm-hmm. but he was pretty close, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason why DeJounte was different was because coming off of that big leg injury, I think that, you know, when that when the contract extension was offered to him and it wasn't quite sure of like, okay, well, like, what will I look like coming back from the injury? It was hard to turn down that money after an injury like that. But I don't think that since Derek White doesn't have, you know, the season like that right behind him, and since he has improved every year, I definitely could see why, even if that offer was made, um, his agent says, like, we're going to play out the year and see what we think next year. Because I, I think unless there is a big injury or just a sudden drop that we're not expecting, that offer would probably be available next year, too. So it, it's definitely a game, uh, like a song and dance. But yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that, that the reason why DeJounte even signed an, accept, uh, an extension was due to that injury. So I think that there was kind of extra circumstances there, and it's generally not typical for a rookie to sign an extension so far below the the max. Yeah, you know, I, I still think that there's still a pretty good chance they, they might they might still you know put it together before December 21st that deadline again only and the reason why I'm saying this is is I think more so because of the position that Derek plays he has a wing you know a, a, a position that's really that's really wanted in the NBA and and that you know like players can get pretty good deals on and so you know with Dejounte part of that was like you mentioned the injury there but then also I think his age too you know they were waiting to see what he grows into eventually down the road with that four year extension and we saw the, the two different ways you can go about this with, with a perfect example was with the Spurs last year with Dejounte and Yakupertel. They did give that extension to to Dejounte, and it works out for them. Uh, whereas Jakob, they 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 gambled and they said, no, no, we're going to let you go into restricted free agency, and we're going to let you know the market you know dictate how, how much uh, you know we're, we're going to resign you for, or if we're going to match an offer sheet. And so we did see that not only Jakob, but pretty much all of the restricted free agents, except for Bogdan Bogdanovich, most of them are all just basically remaining with their team because there's not really a deal out there for them that's where they can sign an offer sheet that the Spurs or their or their, their um you know their, their team that they've been with wouldn't match. And so I think that's why we see Jakob getting pretty much right exactly at that MLE type range because I think that's all he was going to get from any kind of offer sheet which I think teams knew they were probably the Spurs were probably matching any any deal that's just right at the MLE uh, so again with Derek I'm, I'm more I'm more uh, you know if they don't give him the extension I think it's a little bit too but part of what you just said maybe him, he and his agent think that he can get more out there in restricted free agency next year and uh, next summer or the fact or or um 
uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, yeah. Or, or the fact that I think that they would go put through it, put it through because again he is like at a, at a more wanted position in the league where players can't can't cost more in terms of free agency, which is at the wing position. So we'll kind of we'll kind of monitor again. They have until um, December twenty first to sign White to that that extension. Now, Colin, I want to talk about um, you know a lot of some Spurs fans were, were a little disappointed that you know we did hear a bunch of rumors right on, during draft week and up leading up to draft week of trades coming about. We heard Demar Derozan in a trade for the Lakers, most likely um, maybe we heard uh, Lamarcus Aldridge for um to the Warriors we heard uh Patty Mills to the uh to the Sixers and of course you know the week went by free agency went by nothing happened none of the, none of the players Spurs players did get traded however I wanted to ask you this you know the, the trade deadline they haven't actually set the road deadline but um Bobby Marks of ESPN does project it to be around sometime in March this year because of you know because of the season delay uh and so I think that you know I think that the Spurs will keep you know Aldridge um DeRozan uh Rudy Ginn also maybe even veterans like Patty Mills uh, and even Trey Lyles because he is in the last year of his contract I think those veteran players I think that they're they're going to continue to take phone call you know calls on them and maybe you know I don't I don't know if if it, if all those players right there exactly re, uh, remain with the team throughout the season what do you think about that about the trade prospects yeah and, and I think you know an interesting thing just because like you said this has been an, a disappointing off season for some fans when there's all those rumors out there and the Spurs generally aren't in those rumors and now all of a sudden they're in like four mm-hmm. or five rumors <laughs> and no trades happen well if you look at each one of those teams you mentioned. They each made deals, except for the so the Warriors, um, and they they did make a deal, but but it was kind of a different situation where Clay got hurt, yeah. and in an alternate reality where Clay doesn't get hurt, maybe they look into the Aldridge deal more. But I think that when Clay got hurt, they drafted Wiseman, and it looks like they're still trying to put as competitive of a team on the floor as they can, but. I think that that really changed their priorities a little bit when Clay got hurt, um, and so I think that that took that off the table. Um, the Lakers did the uh did the trade for schroeder um i think you know that took the spurs trade off the table when they did that mm-hmm. uh philly made a couple moves and uh including one for seth curry and i think that took the patty mills table the deal off the table for them so so there's these things that you look at and and you realize um that the deals probably were being talked about and they probably were not just you know, passing conversations. There are probably things that both teams were trying to work through, but it, it just ends up that the other team picked another deal. And I think that the Spurs were trying to make moves. I don't think they're like desperate to do anything, but I, I think they were listening and they were having conversations and the the other teams just went with other deals. And that's, I mean, it might not be the Spurs fault. Maybe, maybe they undervalued what they were getting in return, but we can't know that. I, I think it's just a situation where they we're actually trying to move players more than they have in previous off seasons. And then the other teams just took other deals. So I, I have a hard time without knowing exactly what those conversations were like for faulting them in those situations. But I agree with you. I think, I don't think they feel any pressure to move um, LaMarcus or DeMar or Rudy or Trey or Patty. I, I think if, if the off season comes and any one of those players walks in free agency, I don't think they're kicking themselves like, Oh, we could have gotten something for this player. You know, I think um, they're just going to be patient. If a good deal comes along, they're going to make it. And otherwise they're just going to write it out with these players. Um, it'll be interesting to see maybe mid season, if they're doing very poorly, if, and you know, there's, this is totally not reporting, but just if like DeRozan came forward and said, Oh, I want to be on a, a playoff team uh, and then they they tried to work through that with him but unless something like that happens I think they're willing to take calls but I don't know if they're going to be super aggressive in trying to make them happen um, Mills was actually a name that I that I was actually a little surprised to hear especially with everything that they talk about him being the spiritual leader of the team and he is kind of like that that big leader guy right now and, and a lot of the young guys are uh, and actually, really, all of the young guys fit that mold of like very high character. And I know that having a guy like Patty there just is really um, kind of like the perfect vet for these young guys that all are like developing into leaders themselves. So I figured he has a lot of value for this team that's even off the court, which made it a little surprising to hear that he was in talks because I think he provides more value because of that uh, than he does on the floor for other teams. But, you know, if a good deal comes up, I'm sure they'll make it. So I, I think, to me, that's the vibe I'm getting, is that they're listening and they'll make a good deal, but they don't feel pressured in any way to, to have to make one by the trade deadline. 
Yeah, I feel that way too. I think part of it too is what you mentioned in terms of their success. I think that again, if if they're if they're very successful early on in the season, I think that they're going to be more hesitant to make a deal. You know, unless it's like really really good uh, for any of these players. But let's just say they do struggle out out of the gate. You know, and we can already tell that they're already you know a, a, a ten seed and a twelve seed in one of those kind of places in the standings. Well, then I could see you know after a few months of the season starting, maybe they 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 are more aggressive in moving one of these um, one or multiple of these vets just because you know it, it opens up playing time for the younger guys if they know they're probably not going to be a playoff type team um, or maybe just be in that playing tournament type of, of, of vicinity uh, and also you know like you mentioned maybe one of the vets does just wants to go to try, try to find a, a team before um, you, you know that, that that's more for, more successful and also you know the Spurs do want to look you know what what kind of future assets can they get for the player in terms in case uh, he, he walks out once the summertime comes and and you know these are these are all unrestricted free agents because a lot of these guys like we mentioned you know Aldridge DeRozan Rudy Gay Patty Mills I can't see any of these guys you know resigning with the Spurs especially if they're going with this this more youthful direction I think maybe Trail Isles might be one of those players who, who could end up resigning, but but you know again I think I think that we're just gonna I think that you know one thing I think you're gonna hear a lot all year is probably gonna be you know these players names these five players in, in trade rumors and so again that's something to monitor is that I think that the Spurs are gonna continue to take calls all year and if the right package comes along I think that they could move one or, or more, multiple of these players and we'll see too with um you know how how these teams that are that are expecting the playoffs that if they, if they struggle out of the game maybe they, they maybe they think they needed a Rosen or they needed a Marcus Aldridge or a player like Rudy Gay to help them out so so. We'll kind of monitor and see so i think that it's, you're going to hear a lot of the spurs name in these trades um throughout the season up until that 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 uh, march trade deadline so again that's just to watch spurs cast listeners uh as the season goes along even though the spurs didn't initially make any trades uh you know early out of the gate in, in, in the draft and in free agency and now calling the last thing i want to talk about um for, for looking toward the future is kind of what their what their cap space looks like for this coming upcoming summer of 2021 uh after the season uh, res, uh after the season finishes should i say so they are projected right now let's just say that they don't get an extension with Derek White, well, then they would have his $10 million um, restricted free agent cap hold on their books. So with that $10 million of Derek White's cap hold, they are, they're projected right now to have $53.6 million in cap space. Um, again, so 50, it's about $54 million. Uh, and this is, again, t- taking in these early estimates of Yaka Perto and Drew Eubanks and some of the other players that have, that have resigned. Um, and then this is allowing all the veterans, like we've just mentioned, uh, to, to actually walk in and leave the team. So, um, what do you think about that? The fact that they they could be a they could be a team that can give a, a max um, you know contract offer to a free agent who who has more than ten years uh, um, of experience in the league. What do you think about that? It is uh, incredibly fascinating because their timeline is just very difficult to <laughs> interpret right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that next summer, with where the, the young core will be on their development cycle. I'm wondering if it's too late at that point to become a uh, bad contract dropping zone for assets, you know? Like, I, I think the young guys are, are, they're still young, but they are, at that point, are they too far along to still be in, like, heavy, heavy asset collection mode? Um, at the same time, um, you know, other than really Aldridge, we... The, the Spurs haven't been linked with a... I mean, Chris Paul was linked to the Spurs, um, and he went in a different direction for various reasons. But I, I don't I don't foresee the Spurs being like a super-duper star destination, which I think is really what this team needs to get back into championship contention, unless one of the young guys develops into that. Um, so it's really interesting to, to wonder what they'll use the money on, because, I mean, they can sign solid role players and see if they'll develop. And that could maybe get them into like the playoff picture. It's just, it's very interesting in terms of how do they get from where they are now to championship contending and the weird place they are on the timeline. I don't actually know how they use this 53 million to do it. Um, just because, again, I don't think they are a super duper star destination. Um, I, I think that. The asset collection thing might be a little bit too late for them at this point. Um, they could get a lot of solid role players with this, but I, I don't think that gets them to where they want to be. So I, I'm actually really fascinated to see what they do with this, especially if their young players kind of continue on the tra- trajectory we expect and don't just take a huge step that no one's expecting. So it's it's a really good question because there's a lot that they can do with it. It's just I, I'm not quite sure how they evaluate themselves next summer. They they kind of remind me of um the position that Boston was in before they got you know Kemba Walker or, or, or Kyrie Irving where like they had these young prospects on their team 
Uh, and you know, and, and you just you just said you know they got to add a veteran to that you know an all star level veteran, and so you saw that Kemba you know oh first Kyrie went then then Ke- well, Kyrie got traded there, but then Kemba ended up signing there because again it looks intriguing that you have all these young kids who are you know growing up and and starting to uh, to, to fill into their roles and stuff. But the thing with the Spurs though is that we haven't really seen the, the maximum potential of these young kids yet, and then also um, you know they're not they obviously haven't been successful because they missed the playoffs last year when, when a lot of them did get some minutes here. Uh, so so I think that I think that's an, another thing that maybe the franchise needs to look at is you know maybe they do need to start. Like, you know, resting or trying to trade away their vets that way they can let the young guys get playing time and and see you know what what can they do and then just imagining what a free agent would see with, with this group uh, if, if you know he were he were the um you know the, the main focal point you know surrounded by like Dejounte and Derek White and and Keldon Johnson and all these guys Devin Vassell etc. So so I think I think just like you said they're they're in a weird place right now because they are leaving you know this this probably will be the last year of, of them having this this veteran core of, of Rudy uh, Rudy Gay Lamarcus Aldridge and Demar Derozan their big three and then all of a sudden they don't really have that that focal point for next year uh it you know one of these young guys could take that mantle uh this year coming up um you know see, see who really really um takes that that becomes that, that next level player uh so and, and maybe maybe uh, again like an all-star does see that hey that San Antonio looks intriguing they have all these young pl- prospects growing up uh you know getting older and they're all you know on their on their rookie on their rookie scale contracts most of them uh so so maybe maybe they do get intrigued by them but yeah I, I agree I think they're in a tough position because not only the Spurs but I think a lot of teams are, are going to have more cap space next year yeah, it, it it genuinely and and that's another part of it too. And actually, that that goes back to the to the Derek White extension. Um, that as you were talking about, it made me think. So you have a team like the Raptors, who, um, you know, they lost a couple. They lost both their big guys this summer, and they they made a couple signings to make up for it. But mm-hmm. if they um, miss out on Giannis, <laughs> and and some of their free agents next summer decide to go somewhere else and you know they'll still have some good players under contract but if they decide that it's time to take a step back for a season or two what would stop them from offering like a big offer sheet to Derek White for just one season you know and that's not something that the Spurs want to match for a couple of reasons they probably want um, team control for longer than just one season and they don't want to match a big contract so letting him go into restricted free agency next summer especially when there will be a lot of cap space around yeah. because everyone's trying to save it for Giannis is an especially dangerous thing to do if a team is just like, you know what, uh, nothing's working for us this summer, we'll just throw a big one-year deal um, because, you know, why not? And the, if the Spurs would probably not match that and then they, they lose a the guy they like. so Or they would and, and they would tie up most of their cap space. So so I think I think uh, an extension would definitely be good for, for the Spurs if they want to keep him long-term because with the cap space next summer, that could be a, a dangerous uh, game to play for sure. Yeah, and just speaking of Derek, you know, out of all those, out of just and again, it was a small sample size in the bubble. Um, he was the guy who kind of took over and like kind of like started to to take it to another level there in the bubble in terms of of like you just knew it was going to be him, uh, you know, starting off the game and, and he really controlling the offense and running things. And then of course, you know, um, DeRozan would take over there in the fourth quarter. But then and then you know, Kelden had a pretty strong show, even even though like like I mentioned before, Kelden a lot of his stuff was just more off the ball secondary action where he got his his points and his production from aside from his defense. So again, I think Derek showed that he you know he, he it's it's just an interesting situation for Derek because he played he was playing his best basketball there right 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 at the bubble and then the, you know the season did have to stop and then you know he comes right immediately into the situation where they have a month now to figure out if they're going to extend him mm-hmm. yeah and, and you know there's you think about it, and, and it worked out for Phoenix they got their guy in Chris Paul but there are teams every summer uh, that people are talking about like oh you know they they look like they're on the rise they just need a point guard and unless I'm missing an obvious signing that I can't think of a team like that would be the Knicks, you know? And, and if Derek White has another really good season, they could sell themselves into giving him maybe a bigger offer sheet than the Spurs would be willing to sign. And that would actually probably be a good signing for them. So, yeah, it's definitely like with next summer's cap situation, and, and I'm sure the Spurs know that, I do think it, the more we talk about this, the more I'm agreeing with you where it probably benefits them especially to, to try to figure something out uh, to kind of lock him up under team control for, for a while. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you there. So, so again, Spurs cast sisters. That's kind of what's going on as of as of Monday evening in terms of who the Spurs have signed. Uh, you know what their their team pretty much looks like. It kind of looks like it's set. You know, we're just waiting basically on Trey Jones to get signed to his deal. Uh, and, and then, like Colin and I mentioned, you know, they may add a, a few um, you know training camp invites, but they won't actually add probably another you know key free agent uh, if not there unless they they want to go into the luxury tax because again, that's what their books look like. Again, in terms of trades, yes, they they didn't do any trades this this past week. Uh, like you know, like the rumors were saying, but again, they could be up until March. They 
they have a time to, to move some of these players. Uh, and I think because of the, the, the direction their team's going in, there is a good chance that some of these players do get moved uh, by the trade deadline. And then again, we'll just continue to watch the, you know, see what happens with, with Derek White here in this next month. Uh, so thank you again to Colin Reed for joining me here on the Spurs Cast episode um, 589. Next up, I will be speaking with Benjamin Bornstein to recap the draft. Now let's jump right into the draft uh, with Benjamin Bornstein. Ben, how are you doing? I am fantastic, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, so let's go to begin here. Uh, you know, last Wednesday, almost a week ago now, like you wrote in your most recent article about grading the, the draft picks, uh, the Spurs did make their two draft selections. They didn't, they didn't do any trades, even though they discussed that. According to GM um, Ryan Wright, he did say that they did look at all their options in terms of look, um, trading up or trading down. However, they, they decided to stick where they were, and they were happy with you know, selecting the two picks that they made, which were first. The first players let's talk, let's talk about is Devin Vassell at 11. That's who they, they chose. Let's go ahead and I want to really break down these two players, Dev, Devin Vassell and Trey Jones on, on their skills on defense first and then on offense because I think that's their both of their traits as a defensive player first before going to their offense and then yes. kind of look at some op, um, long-term outlooks for each player. So just on defense, some things about Vassell, Spurs cast listeners. Uh, he's a 6'6 to 6'7 wing um, from Florida State. Um, the NBA draft guide actually had two different heights. Uh, he played 30 games last season with Florida State, 1.4 steals, one block, uh, 5.1 rebounds. He was named to the 2019-20 Namesmith of Defensive Player of the Year midseason top 15 finalist. His strengths, according to the NBA draft guide, were versatile and impactful defender. Uh, on draft night, I was on a Zoom call with Brian Wright, and he, the GM of the Spurs, and he says that Vassell impacts the game on both ends of the floor. Um, according to the ringer, they say he has shades of Robert Covington and Matisse Thybul. Uh, Vassell said, I actually talked to Vassell that night of the draft on Zoom and, and you know, I asked him, you know, what position do you think is your most ideal position or are you, are you most comfortable playing? He says he thinks he's a two with shooting guard, but he said all through college he played the three. Um, he's, a, he's a small forward. Uh, Vassell also said, I play with a lot of energy and try to make it contagious for others. According to the Stepien, they identify his defensive role as a wing defender plus. Uh, his best skills, according to the Stepien, are his, his off-ball IQ on defense, his off-ball activity on defense, his on-ball activity on defense, and his motor. Uh, his solid skills on defense, according to the Stepien, are on-ball mobility, on-ball IQ, and defensive rebounding. And really, he doesn't have any minuses, according to their scouting uh, profile. So, Ben, go ahead and um, let's focus on defense here. What, what, do, what do you want to um, discuss about Vassell? His only... His only negative might be that he's just not at playing weight right now. He's, you know, he was listed at less than 200 pounds. And if you're 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, you, you got to be 215, 220, probably somewhere in there. So he's got some weight he's got to put on. But I do like the comparison to Matisse Thibault, although I think he's going to be a better shooter than Thibault. So offensively, maybe not a fair comparison. But defensively, I like that a lot. Long arms guy who just bothers ball handlers, gets in passing lanes, is a general nuisance on defense. I love that stuff. So I think that's a great comparison. He's definitely versatile. He's going to be able to guard two or three positions. That's going to, that's going to make him very useful for what the Spurs are trying to do. I, think, I also think the Spurs are sending a message with these guys they drafted. They say, we are building around our defense. The offense will come. And you know, we've we've got the best shooting coach in the league. We're gonna we're gonna make him earn his paycheck this year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think you can definitely tell that uh, with the, with the two draft picks they move it. And again, the fact that we're shutting off with their their best traits are on defense before we even go to the offense. Now let's go to visit some of Vassell's um, um um you know skills on offense and his statistics. Uh, he did score twelve point seven points last year per game. Uh, he did shoot forty two percent from the college three. Again, I like to identify that as a college three because it's not you know it's not as far as the NBA three, so you can't put too too much stock into that. Uh, he's a smooth athlete with a well rounded game according to the NBA um uh, draft profile. Um, his strengths uh, moves exceptionally well without the ball. Uh, he has very good range and takes quality shots, according to the NBA draft guide. Uh, GM Brian Wright on draft night said about his offense said that he has the ability to create, the ability to score from all three levels. According to the Stepien, his offensive role is a utility wing slash um, off-ball secondary um, you know, player. Uh, his best skills on offense, uh, according to the Stepien, are, are just his motor. You know, has a lot of energy. Uh, his solid skills on offense are his off-ball movement, catch and shoot shooting, and live dribbling scoring. And then he has more skills to improve on the offensive end, like you had to mention there, Ben. Uh, his offensive rebound needs some improvement, according to Stepien, his passing and also his ball handling. So, what do you want to say about his offense? I mean, the Stepien does a great job. So, a lot of that's I would say all of that is accurate. He's he's definitely again. Motor, I, I've said this many times, you cannot teach a motor. 
All right. It's what, you know, you can't teach height. You can't teach guys having a motor. If he has a motor, he is going, he's going to be great in this league. He's going to be able to get a lot of things done that someone with the same talent who doesn't have that motor would not be able to do. So I think that has to be discussed. You know, you have to consider that and you have to, you know, you, you have to consider it for his growth down the line. And so I think just really because of that, he's going to become a much better player. He's go, he has the work ethic. He's going to work on his shooting on everything he needs to work on. You know, the offensive rebounding will probably come just because he's, you know, Florida State had a bunch of dudes that they were running in and out of their lineup the entire mm-hmm. game. And they had some legit seven-footers. He didn't really have to do a lot of offensive rebounding. There was there were a lot of missed shots around the rim that the big boys could go grab. He didn't really have to do that. So, um, you know, I don't think that's an issue of that's something he's never cared to do. I think it's more of he's just never been asked to do it. And so they've utilized him in other ways on offense. But his, his ball handling and his passing definitely need improvement. He can be a little careless with the ball. Sometimes his handles are not as tight as you'd like to see them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, with the Spurs, with the other ball handlers they have right now, his ability to move off the ball is going to be very key. It's, that's what's going to allow him to score. It's what's going to allow the offense to flow. So I don't think, you know, it, it sounds like something you might mention in passing. It may not be – it may not sound as important to other people, but being able to move off the ball is huge, especially when you are at a position, you're playing a position that doesn't really handle the ball, or at least not one that handles the ball in that offense. Because, of course, there are other guys out there who are small forwards or even power forwards who are handling the ball. You know, LeBron James is handling the ball a lot. So, it's, it's, you know, there, there, there aren't any, you know, there, there's, it's not like there's no guys who do that, but, you know, if he, if he can work on it, become maybe a secondary ball handler for this team. I think it opens up the offense a lot more as well. And uh, so, so here's some questions I have for you after reading these two, um, you know, really diagnosing his offense and defense. Um, what do you think his natural NBA position is? Like, where do you think he, he's going to be most comfortable just from where you see his body size and everything like that? So, you know, he says he's most comfortable at the two, but I think he's going to end up settling into the three. Okay. I, um, it's just the, the, his, he's too big. He's too long not to be playing three to me. Okay. Um, do you think that if the Spurs were to go small, he can play some small ball four, kind of like how Keldon did, kind of how like De- DeMar DeRozan did last year in the bubble? Right now, no. Down the line, absolutely. Give him two years, put some weight on, and he'll be there. But he's, he does not have the strength and the weight to really play small ball four right now. So one thing that's really encouraging, I, I guess, if you want to see him try to um, get into the rotation is the fact that he's a defensive player first. And we did see that even before the pandemic stopped the season. We saw that with Keldon Johnson, where Coach Pop, you know, you know, definitely wants to go for a defensive player first. So like he started, started to put, put Keldon in some games there in February right before the, the shutdown of the season. And so I was going to ask you this, um, you know, how realistic do you think it, it could be for him to push his way into, into the rotation, whether, uh, you know, whether that's starting or off the bench? You know, there's a lot of guys there at his position at the two and three. When we talk about Derek White, Lonnie Walker, uh, DeMar DeRozan, and Keldon Johnson already there. Uh, or do you think this is a player who spends a lot of time in the G League? If there is a G League season in Austin. Yeah, if, if there is a G League season, I think he's going to spend a lot of time there. I think there is potential for him to break, some, break into the lineup and get some minutes. I think it's going to require an injury, though. Uh, honestly, I think if a... DeMar goes down or if Rudy Gay also goes down and the Spurs kind of go their four guard lineup with one big, I think he could get in that way. So, you know, there, there is possible, there are possibilities for him to get into this lineup, but I, they're, they're very few and far between, I think. I think also another thing, cause this is something that Colin and I talked about. I think that the vets will be on the trade block all year long until the March trade deadline. So I think that if there's a chance that they end up moving like DeRozan, uh, or maybe like Patty Mills, just one of those guards who's kind of in the way right now, you know, the veteran guards. I think there, do you think there's a chance there then that like, let's just say they moved to Rosen, he would, he would probably get in because he'd probably be in, in a, you know, off the bench somewhere. Absolutely. They would need, they would need the wing depth. And I think he would, he would slide right in there. Absolutely. 
Okay, cool. So yeah, so again, so that, that's uh, that's Devin Vassell, Spurs cast listeners. Uh, you know, that was the Spurs' 11th pick. As Ben mentioned, you know, his first skills and uh, priorities are on defense, and that's going to give him a chance to really impress Coach Pop because that's what Coach Pop wants is he wants someone who's going to play defense first. Uh, and, and that's why we saw Keldon, you know, get those early minutes last year. And then also, of course, you know, go back to Kawhi, those days of, of just the defensive player first, their identity. They always get more, more play time than the offensive player first. All right, let's go to move on to the Spurs' the second pick, and that was Trey Jones uh, at number 41 in the second round. Um, just to just to to put a timestamp here, Ben and I are recording this on Tuesday morning, and the Spurs still haven't signed Trey Jones to a contract. Uh, but we do expect that to happen for two reasons, like Colin and I had, uh, mentioned: the fact that financially it fits right on their ca- on the on their cap sheet that uh, he should be able to get a minimum uh, a deal with on the NBA roster. Number two is that uh, they've already filled both their two way spots with Quindary Weatherspoon and Kata Bates Jop. And then number three is that the Spurs team, uh, the PR, I mean, not the PR, the social media actually tweeted a photo of his Jersey and his locker room. So like that basically you're not going to just give a guy a Jersey in a locker room if you're just going to put him in the G league or, or let let him go overseas. So that's what, those are some clear signs that he's probably going to get his NBA deal pretty soon here. Uh, maybe, maybe after you've got, you already listened to this. So let's go ahead and focus first, uh, Ben, on Trey Jones on his defense. Again, he is also known for his defense more so than his offense uh, as, as his first skill set. Uh, he's a 6'3 guard from Duke. Last season, he averaged 1.8 steals and 4.2 rebounds in 29 games. Uh, he was the 2019-20 ACC Defensive Player of the Year. His strengths, according to the NBA Draft Guide, um, he's an elite on-ball defender. Uh, Jones said on draft night on Zoom, he said um, he's just trying to bring something on the defensive end every single night. Uh, the ringer says he has shades of Chris Duhon and former Spur Corey Joseph. Uh, according to the Stepian, his defensive role is um, point, points of attack, a point guard defender, likely one position, maybe some small ball two defense, uh, competitive high IQ. So what do you want to say about Jones's defense? Yes, absolutely elite on ball defender. He, he was the major reason why a lot of teams that played Duke could not get into their offensive sets. He would absolutely disrupt their point guards. They were forced to, have, they were forced to use a different ball handler, completely changed the game at times. Um, I mean, that's, it's really, it, honestly, it honestly is that simple. He was that good. He was, he was that tenacious of a defender. And he is another guy with a great motor, and he's shown – that he has a great work ethic. He improved, and I'm, we'll talk about this in a little bit, I'm sure, but he improved his shooting drastically from his freshman to his sophomore campaign. Uh, okay, so yeah, we're going to go into that right now. So real quick on the defense part. Um, when you talk about he, he, he's, he just, is he like a pest, uh, a, a, a guy who's kind of like pestering people, who's like kind of like putting his hands in and trying to get steals, or is he more of like that guard who's just kind of in the right position at the right time and really cutting off your, your driving lanes, like when you're trying to drive by him or cross him over? I think a little bit of both. He, okay. He's definitely a guy who gets up in you. Okay. And he makes you incredibly uncomfortable. He's, he is breathing on you. Uh, you know, okay. just he is, in, he is in your pocket. Okay. He's, so, yeah, he, he is so. not making anything easier for your point guard. And even when your point guard doesn't have the ball, you know, he's, he's cutting off passing lanes. He's making you work for it. And, and do you agree with that, that he's most likely going to be able to only guard point guards uh, and not really um, um, twos in the NBA just because of his height? Yeah, he's, he's a little on the smaller side. Uh, I think that is going to limit him in the amount of positions he can guard. Uh, small ball two might even be a stretch, but I, you know, for him, as long as he does his job on defense, he will have the opportunity to, to kind of break out on offense every now and then. And I think he'll have opportunities to get a lot of to get some playing time because I think Pop will say, "All right, I, I need somebody to come in and just shut this dude down. I need somebody to come in and just say you're not getting buckets or you're you know you're not running your offense." And the guy will be Trey Jones. Okay, interesting. All right, now let's go to shift to his offense. Um, like you were about to mention here, he did average 16.2 points per game uh, and 6.4 assists over at Duke last year. Uh, he was the 2019-20 ACC Player of the Year. Uh, his strengths, according to the uh, NBA Draft Guide, uh, he's a careful ball handler who makes good decisions. Uh, he has a great feel for finding open teammates, and he's a natural leader from the point guard position. According to the Stepian, his offensive role is a game manager point guard. He runs the offense, but ideally not used as a primary creator, and he has a high IQ. Yeah, and those are, those are all absolutely accurate. Uh, he is not flashy by any means. He's not going to, he's not going to wow you with – you know, a nutmeg pass. He's not going to wow you with, you know, behind the back stuff. He's going to make the right pass at the right time to the right guy, and it will lead to a bucket. And 
He he has proven in his two years at Duke that he knows how to run an offense. He can get his guys going. He operates pretty well in the pick and roll. He he found Vernon Carey a lot last season on on dives, on alleys, on you know kind of duck ins. So he he is looking for guys. He, again, because he's not flashy, he's not going to turn the ball over very much. Yes, he is a really smart point guard as well. That helps. It also helps that his brother plays in the NBA, and he has been able to learn from him as well. One thing we didn't mention here was his shooting, and, and you did say that um, you know um, that he did improvement. Can you talk about that that improvement that he made a little bit? Yeah, he jumped. What you saw? He, he jumped up ten percentage points in three point shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. He was a twenty six percent shooter in his freshman year, and he jumped up to 36% in his second year on more shots. So you have to believe that, okay, yeah, that might be kind of a small sample size. We don't really know if he's going to, if that's going to stay consistent, if he'll continue to shoot better, if he'll shoot, you know, continue to shoot at 36%. But that at the very least, that tells you he's willing to work on it. You know, he's going to put in the effort and he's going to get, he's going to try to get where he needs to be so that he can be a reliable three-point shooter. And he's not going to be, you know, early career Rondo where I'm going to make all these plays for people, but I'm not going to be able to shoot it so you can just sag off me. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I was going to ask about that. Uh, all right, so, so some last few questions here about Trey Jones. Um, what do you think the chances are that he could pass um, Patty Mills in the depth chart? Or, 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 I mean, Derek White sometimes plays, you know, he's, even though he's a two, he plays the, the one sometimes for the Spurs, uh, you know, whenever DeJounte goes to the bench. Uh, so so what, what do you think? Is there any chance you think he could pass up Patty, or do you think that a trade needs to be made with Patty gone for him to? I think a trade would have to be made. I don't think he's passing Derek White. Derek White is. Yeah, no, no. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. too good of an offensive player right now, and he plays enough defense that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt this team. So you have to, you know, you know, he's he's going to get, and he has, you know, institutional knowledge at this point. He's been with the team, so he understands, you know, the offense and and the the chemistry and things like that much better than Trey Jones might. So yeah, I think it's going to require an injury or a trade in order for Trey Jones to get in this year. Okay, so do you think that if there is a G League season, he spends a good chunk of that time in Austin? Oh, yeah. I think he spends the majority, if not all, of his time there, and he gets to be a man. Honestly, he, he gets to run that offense, and they're going to say, listen, this is how you're going to run the offense in Austin, and when we eventually bring you up to San Antonio, you're going to run it the exact same way. You're going to know what you're doing. You're going to be confident. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. So again, Spurscast, this is again, like what, what Ben just said, you know, don't expect these two players um, to immediately, you know, jump into the rotation off the bench or something like that. Uh, again, the, the one thing to, to watch for is that is that we know that most of these Spurs vets are going to be on the trade block for most of the year, just because of the fact a lot of their names were in the rumor mill uh, throughout the draft week and, and uh, during free agency. And, and again, the, the trade deadline could be a long time. It could be into, they haven't set an official date, but it could be up until March. So, so there is a chance that if one of these vets that, you know, at the guard positions uh, does get moved, then there's a chance that maybe, you know, Trey Jones gets some in or Devin Vassell gets, gets a better chance of getting minutes at San Antonio. And then also, you know, if there isn't a G League season, well, then those players are probably going to be with the San Antonio roster most nights on, on games. And so uh, we'll see, you know, if they're able, if there is like an injury or, or somebody needs to sit out for a game, uh, if those players can get in there and get, and, you know, get some minutes. So, again, that's just something to watch for. Um, thank you to Ben and Colin for joining me here on the Spurs cast. Again, visit projectspurs.com. Um, ben just wrote, wrote his most recent piece where he grades the draft and gives the Spurs, uh, you know, some grades on, on their two draft picks that they made. Um, so, again, th- thanks, thanks to both of them for joining us here on this, this uh, Spurs cast. And also to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great holiday week.